I'm William Eastman, Senior Consultant with the Greenmark Group and Executive Producer of Owner Life, an internet radio channel dedicated to helping you, the business owner, grow your company and generate wealth for yourself and your families. If you've been an ongoing listener of ours, you know that finally there is resource for business owners, people like you, to re- realize their dreams of making the business pay off for all the years of investment and personal sacrifice. Every week, we share years of practical experience on how to grow from nothing to market leadership. In fact, how do I make my company dominant? Our approach that we use will provide you with expensive tools to take advantage of your strength and finance growth from sales. The team at Owner Life and Greenmark are recognized thought leaders locally, nationally, and internationally in their fields of finance and branding, strategy and marketing, sales, productivity, technology, and, of course, people. And everyone is and has been a successful business owner providing you with shortcuts to success. Okay? Today's show is show number six, and it's the last in this series on our Quit Making the Labor Crunch Worths. It is sponsored by Green Industry Pros Magazine. In fact, you can find all of the previous articles, shows, because basically what we're doing is we write an article, then we do a show on the article so that we can expand on the basically 500 words, okay? And that if you want to look at any of those articles, all you've got to do is take your favorite search engine, look for Green Industry Pros Magazine, and that's Green Industry and Pros, or P-R-O-S, magazine, and take a look at all of their publications for 2017. Now, title, the title of today's show is How Long Do You Want to Overpay Them? Last in the series or even easier, How Do I Onboard Quickly to Build Loyalty? All right. So the issue then becomes is that we've taken you through the whole process of where do you start. Now I've got them and I've hired them. How do I onboard them in a way that they are loyal to the business. And there's two topics that we have to cover in order to get that done. One is to understand that everybody in the professional world, and when I say professional world, (laughs) what I mean is anybody who has got a job. They may not see themselves as professionals, but they, they hold jobs, okay? And that is, one is the issue of orientation or identification. I either identify with my profession. I am a landscaper. I am a pilot, I am a doctor, etc. So how I see myself is I'm a member of this particular trade or this profession. The other orientation is that I am a member of an organization. I work for IBM, I work for United States Navy, or I work for BCLS Landscaping. And so if I understand that, there's a pros and cons. Now, the pro of hiring people who are occupationally oriented, or that's their identification, is that you're hiring experts. These people know what they're doing when they're coming in. So the good news is you probably can ramp them up pretty fast. Here's the bad news. The bad news to all that um, is that maybe they're bringing in habits that you don't want to see in your organization. Maybe they didn't learn it exactly right in the last location. Also is they're hired guns. And so as soon as they cannot do what they like to do, they're going to be looking for another job. I spent some time in the United States military. In fact, the United States Coast Guard is where I was. And I worked on a retention study a long time ago. 
And we were losing, we had an exodus of people at a certain career point. And what we found, and probably the most profound of this was with pilots, is that our pilots really didn't care whether they wore Coast Guard blue or Delta blue. The issue was that they were pilots, and as soon as they got promoted to a certain level, they couldn't fly anymore. And so that was really the issue. That's what happens when people are oriented to an occupation, is that they're happy as long as they get to do it, but understand you hired mercenaries. mercenaries. Now, on the organizational side is that people identify with the organization they're in. And typically what happens here, this will happen with people who are lower on a skill set, so the bad news is this person may take a while to train to really get them up to speed to what you want. Here's the good news. If you do that, and especially if you take somebody who's earlier in their career and unskilled and you give them a career, they're going to be incredibly loyal to your organization. So that is what I want to focus in on. Regardless if I'm hiring a mercenary or a newbie, what I want to do is understand what I'm buying. And number two, regardless, how do I build loyalty in the company? Okay, so that's on the tail end of everything that we've covered. So let me do a quick review of all of the other articles. We started off with number one was the issue of does your brand attract the wrong people? So you have to understand what your reputation in the marketplace is. Uh, and I don't mean marketplace for customers. Now I mean marketplace for employees because if you don't, um, you may not be able to advertise. In fact, I ran, I, my last company that I ran, I did a turnaround. I couldn't advertise the name of the company in the community because nobody would show up because we had that bad reputation. And until I could change that, I really could not go out and recruit the best talent available for what the working conditions are and what I was going to pay. Okay. Number two is that before I get into the whole, whole hiring process, make sure I've got an accurate handle on um, – on the job, because one of the things that we encounter a lot of times is that there's no position descriptions or we slap one together or we download it from the Internet and it doesn't describe the job. Well, you do a perfect job of hiring somebody to a position that really isn't an accurate description. Uh, where are you on that? So in Article 2, we talk about how do I put together a position description quickly, a one-pager, that accurately describes what I'm looking to hire, and I focus on knowledge, skills, and certifications. Then number three is I want to put together a process because here's what we know. Everybody lies when they're trying to be hired. If they want the job, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And so let's just take that for granted. So how do I build a process which is a combination of writing the ad, screening resumes, one-pagers, by the way. Nobody's going to send me a dissertation. I want a one-pager, very defined on what I want. And then when I found the people who can do the job, how do I then screen those individuals? Okay, so now, how does the process look like? How do I put that together? Then Article Four is we talk about specifically how to write the ad to attract people to come in the door. Article Five is that then we said, okay, let's let's talk about this process of how do I split um, can from what will. And so first thing is I use resumes to screen out who I believe can do the job, because that's something that I can check with experience, um, certifications, et cetera. So what you're looking to do is you're not going to interview anybody who does not have the ability to do the job. The only people you interview are the people that can do the job. Now the question is whether you want them working for you. And so that's why we called Article 5, so they can work in landscaping should they work for you. And now that takes us to today. And today's article 
And what today's article is about is that, okay, I've got them, and now they're at the front door. What do I do with them? Okay, so let's take, let's take the orientation of, uh, item first, the topic first, and just expand on that a little bit more. And so my guess is if you're not hiring for somebody at a senior level, um, you know, a peer of yours, somebody that you're going to bring to help you run the company, more than likely you're not going to be, you're not going to be hiring too many landscape professional experts. Uh, sometimes you do that on, on the next level of management. But I can tell you that um, when it comes to the issue of management, um, it, their skill set for the, techno, the technical part of the business is less important than their skill set for being able to run people, be in charge of people, or uh, be in a management position where you're basically making decisions about resources. So let me kind of create a hypothetical here just to kind of split that up. I've got somebody who's on the front line has been working, and I need to. I need a new crew leader. I'm going to open up a new truck. Uh, basically, what we're doing is we're making it about three hundred thousand dollars a truck. And so, what I've done is I want to grow the company, and I know that if I bring a truck in, and I know what equipment ought to be on it, and I've already written my position descriptions, and I got my standard operating procedures, and all that's done, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring people in to take those jobs. Well, who do I want in the job? Well, obviously, the crew leader or the foreman, whatever title you want to give them that you're going to put in the new truck or even the old truck, is somebody who has to be technically competent but has to have people skills. Okay, This is the last level of the organization where technical competence is really, really required because if, in fact, you've grown and now you have six or seven trucks, you're probably going to need somebody, an operations manager or an ops boss or whatever title you want to give that position, but you're going to need somebody to run operations. At that level, technical expertise takes a backseat to managerial ability. And so when I take a look at it, people who have an occupational focus is that, that first level and maybe the second level is critical, but entry-level people... Um, it's far more important to have people who are oriented to my organization. Now, they're not when I hire them. And so that's what makes this idea of onboarding so critical. So just to sum this up is that, you know, do you hire landscape technicians that are experts? More than likely you don't. You bring in people who have no skill set. You try to sell it as a career, which is we talked about in some of the other shows. You train them on this. You get them to the supervisory level. And then what you need is you need crew leaders. This is probably where you would go out and hire a subject matter expert to come in and do that if you could not promote from within. But their boss, the person they report to, I don't think you have to go out there and, and get a hired gun. I think somebody who understands management is better for that role, and what you want to do is you want to make them loyal to the company, which takes me to my next piece, okay? So how do I get them loyal, okay? Now that I understand how people identify with this. Well, what typically happens is the new person comes in, and what do we do? We throw them right to the wolves. We take them, and we put them out there, and they're out on the job. Uh, I know some of you probably don't do that, but a lot, of, a lot of the feedback that I get from people is, look, I need a warm body. I need them on the job, and I need them on the job right now, and I don't have the time for it. Well, trust me, is that you're going to spend the time someplace. You either spend it up front as an investment or you're going to spend it later on, and it's basically going to be a Band-Aid. So 
my recommendation is you give new employees the warning. Now, if you're going to bring in three or four new people, do them all together. Okay, You don't have to do this personally. That's the issue of this new employee gets to meet you. And this is another lesson that I learned from being in the military is that when you don't orient new people correctly and you just throw them into the workplace, they, they fumble and they stumble and they bumble along. And if they're not getting any help, guess who really helps them? All the derelicts in your organization are going to single them out like vultures. They're going to be like vultures over them going, let me tell you how it really is around here. And you're going to be thinking in a week or two, how did they turn out so bad? How, how did they turn into a derelict in two or three weeks? I thought we got rid of the last one, and now we were hiring somebody who is far better. And so that time that you invest is well worth it, you know, if... If you've got a tight calendar, then you basically make a decision on when their first day of employment is, is when you can give them warning. So here's where we're at, right from the article. You greet them, and you spend a few minutes expressing your appreciation for them joining the team. And let's face it, that's not a fake. You, you are very happy that they've come in and joined the company because you've sold jobs that you can't work, or you're behind the eight ball because you can't work jobs because you don't have the bodies to do it. And so you are happy to see them. Now, you're hoping that they're going to work out. I want to take the hope out of this, hope and prayer, because neither one of those are leadership or management techniques, and I want to manage that process, okay? Now, if you're in a small, very small company and you're the HR person, okay, then you do this. If not, you take them to the HR person. You've got somebody in here who kind of handles this, and you have them spend the next 30 to 60 minutes going through all their stuff. Let's get all the paperwork signed, the W-2s, if you've got any benefit packages, whatever you need to have them fill out, let's get it done right now. Also, is have them read and sign the employee handbook. And if you don't have an employee handbook, you need to get on the stick here because this is one of the things that's going to freaking kill you if you don't have it. Not only does it t kind of tell them about the organization, but when you get into trouble and the lawyers come sniffing around and you don't have a handbook, uh, they're smelling payday. Now, if you need help with a handbook, I can give you some information on to track one down, and we can give you some assistance on that. They're not hard to put together, and the worst-case scenario is download one off the Internet. But we've got several for the landscape industry that will work for you if you'd like. Uh, take a look at it so you can get hold of me, and I'll let you know at the end of the show how you can do that. Okay? So let's say that takes an hour. They've read the handbook. They've signed everything. They're now officially in. Next, I want to take them around. And if there's any, I've got any type of back office, anybody in the office, I want to take them around and introduce them to everybody, okay? Now, if I've got an accountant who's not there who's handling payroll, I'm, I perhaps want that person to come in that day. But I want them to meet everybody that they need to know so that if we have any type of administrative issues, they know who to talk to. Now, again, if it's a four- or five-person operation, that's me. Okay, um, and then I just kind of live with that. But I want you to make sure that they know everybody they're supposed to know that's in the back office of operation. And let's face it, if you're running a four to $500,000 landscaping company, you've got one or two people who are handling back office. And if you're, if you're over a million, you're more than likely you've got three or four. So you've got people who have these responsibilities. Take them and personally introduce them, okay, so that they know who they are. And you can say some good words to them. And again, it gives you a chance to kind of press the flesh. All right, that's out of the way. 
paperwork's done, they read the handbook, they've met everybody inside the building that they need to know. Now what I want to do is I want to take them out to a job site. And if I have multiple jobs, let's say that uh, we're a full-featured landscape company and we've got design build, so we're, we're not only doing that, what we're putting in hardscape, we've got a maintenance operation, and let's say we've got turf. So let's say we've got three businesses going. I want to take them to a representative of all of those. I want to put that person or that group of people in my truck, and I want to take them out there, and I want to show them what the job looks like and point out to them what's positive and negative about those particular jobs. I want them to begin to get into the game. The other thing I can do is that this is a perfect time because I've got a captive audience, whether that's one person or many people, because what I want to do now is I want to talk to them about the history of the company. You know, we started 10 years ago. This is what I intended to do. This is where we've been. This is what we've done in good times. This is what we've done in bad times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I want to do is I want to take time to make a personal connection with these people and explain to them how important this business is and what's important about that business. You see, I see business as one big monopoly game, except the money's real. That's the only difference. And the challenge is, is that business owners, you, you know, and I've had four companies besides places where I've done turnovers, but I've started my own company. It's a game. Once you understand how the game is played, it's just a big game. And the more you play it, the more you understand it, the better you get at it. Well, the problem is that most companies, only the owner and maybe a couple of execs at the top understand the game and play the game. Everybody else is just, they're just a drone. They see themselves as a drone and they come to work and all they do is, you know, do whatever they're told. And if they're told to do nothing, then they're really, really freaking good at that. And so what I want to do is I want this opportunity, I may not come again for weeks or months for me to get them on the same page with me. And in in a way, it's kind of an inoculation because I know there's derelicts out there, no matter how much I've tried to turn these people around or I've tried to get rid of them, the demands of the job are I have people working for me that I probably don't want working for me, everything considered. And so what I want to do is I want to inoculate these people, give them a little, give them a shot so when these people come around, they're they're going, hey, that that guy's no good. I need to stay away from him, okay? But take them out to multiple job sites and only take them, only take them to their work site last. Okay, so if you've got, again, if you've got three different types of businesses going on and you're going to put them on a maintenance crew, then the last place we're going to go is to a maintenance job and to their crew leader or their foreman. And that's where I'm going to take them. So what I've done so far is I've got their paperwork done. I have oriented them. I've built a personal relationship with them. I've oriented them to the company and told them about what we're doing as a business, what's important. And really what I want to do is as I look at the job and let's say I go to design build and I look at that job and say, okay, here's what's critical about this job. This is where we make and lose money. Boom. Then I've got to go out to a turf job and I'm going to go, okay, this is how we make or lose money here. And finally, when I take them to their job, I'm going to make sure that they understand, okay, on maintenance, here's how we make money on maintenance, here's how we lose money on maintenance. At that point, I introduce them to their foreman or their crew leader, let that person now take over and introduce them to the team and leave them there, okay? They now go to work. So what you've done is you've taken a half a day, you've oriented a new employee or employees to your business, you've established a personal relationship with them, they've heard the word from you, 
not from somebody else, certainly not from the derelicts in the organization. And now, and they get paid for a full day's work, even though they were only worked half a page. Okay, so that's where I would take it. Now, the last thing I would do to them is I would say I would look at each person, and let's just assume it's just one for right now, and say, okay. And this was a Tuesday when I onboarded them. I would say, okay, on Friday after you collect your check, uh, I want to sit down and talk to you for a half hour. The last thing you want to do is that you want to you want to sit down with this person and say, okay, how did the week go? What did you learn? What didn't you know that I or the foreman could have told you or showed you to make this a lot of, a lot easier for you to do? And I think if you do that, then what you have is you have an employee that's pretty damn excited about where they're working. And even though this is not really the topic that we worked about, we talked about here in this particular show, we did in earlier shows. Let me get back and close on something that is just, just really hot with me and all my uh, coaching clients, and that's this: if you view the landscape business, the, the technician, the worker, the laborer, whatever term you want to give them. If you view that as a warm body, all you're going to get is warm bodies. When you go out and hire, if that's your mindset, you go out and hire and you've got, let's say, four or five people waiting outside your door to say, okay, which one am I going to hire? It's always going to look like a police lineup. And as the economy has picked up in 2017, this is getting exceedingly more difficult. The advantage I can have um, as my partner, Stephen Cohen, who is not only the president of Greenmark, but also the owner of uh, BCLS Landscaping Company, says is that the good people are out there. They're simply not working for you. And I think that's quite true. And so what I want to do is I want to look at landscaping as a career. How many people do not want, no, no matter what their parents say, how many people do not want to go to college spend all their time getting a degree so they can go and work in some cubicle staring at a computer screen all day. There are a lot of people who want to do that. Wonderful. Let them go. But there are people out there who want to get out in the weather. They want to work with their hands. They want to do things that are creative, and they want to do that. They, they want to be creative, and they want a way of expressing that. What a great opportunity because these are the people that are the future of your industry. And if we can get those people in to say, look, you're going to start off, and here's how it's going to work, and that is that you are going to learn every piece of the business. I'm going to start here in maintenance, and then once you've had all the jobs in maintenance, then I'm going to put you over in design-build. And once you learn the job of the design-build, or maybe they learn everything in maintenance, say, okay, the next role is you're going to move from being a technician to an assistant foreman, um, and you're going to begin to understand how I want these jobs managed because when I buy a new truck, your foreman is gone. Guess who's taking his job? You are. And what I begin to do is begin to build a progression that as soon as a technician's up to speed, then that technician uh, moves into this assistant foreman role where they begin to learn the foreman's job. When the, when the foreman leaves, then I can move this person up into the foreman position. I take the technician that I've trained, put them in the assistant, and all I've got to do is keep hiring entry-level people rather than trying to hire at a higher level. If I do that, then I'm hiring people that I have built a orientation or an identification to the company, and they are committed to our business. They don't care what job they get. What they want to do is they want to work for me, and they want to work in landscaping. And if I can get there with people, and it can, you can do it because it's been done 
many times. If I do that, then what happens is that I can build a loyal organization with people that are not only competent but committed to what we're trying to achieve. But I do not do not second guess this idea of you turn it into a career because after all, you did. And if you really be looking ahead and being more futuristic, is that let's face it, uh, you know, in most cities in the United States, towns where landscape companies are located is that there is a limit to how big you can grow the business. Um, so let me just pick a number. Let's just say $5 million. You cannot get much bigger than $5 million and service the area. You're going to own most of the good business, and there's really not much more you could do. You could get more revenue, but you're going to get that revenue by sacrificing margin. So what, what do you do in landscaping? You open up another center, right? Where are you going to get the leaders to open the centers? Well, you might be able to hire somebody off the street to do that, and occasionally you might need to. What if all that seed corn you have been saving for now? And these are people that you've grown, because if you take the guy who's the foreman or the woman that's the foreman, your operations manager who's going to be running all of maintenance operations is going to come from this crew. You promote them up to there. Well, now suddenly you've got somebody who is a manager who understands all those operations. Uh, maybe the next role for them is they open up their own center, especially one that is focused predominantly on maintenance, and now they're kind of in your role. So <clears throat> the ramifications of this are fairly large. Okay, so then let me, let me go back to where we were, and let me kind of summarize here um, with everything, and that is is that the six-part series was simply to say, look, in the landscape industry, you're shooting yourselves in the foot, and that my clients are doing the same thing. How do we get out of, of this issue that when the economy is bad, we probably have bodies laying around, but when the economy is good, and especially if there is a pressure on immigration, that I'm going to have to go out and win the battle for employees just as much as I'm going to have to win the battle for customers. And then what do I need to do? And I need to be working on my brand in the community so I have a great reputation. I need to understand the jobs very, very well that I have so that when I hire somebody to it, this is actually what they're doing. Okay. I need a process for how I attract, um, select, and onboard people. Okay. How do I screen out the people who can't do the job from the people who uh, – can do the job, and then of the people who can do the job, not all of them should work for me because they it may be good people, but they don't fit uh, my organization. How do I find the people that are in that fit? And then once I got them, how do I bring them inside the business? And then once I do that, then I think I'm in pretty good shape now um, to uh, to build a a recruiting engine. Uh, I I think the the way to look at this you know, is View yourself as a basketball coach at the, co at the college level. Probably the best analogy that I've ever been able to come up with is that if you're, if you're in a Division I school like Kentucky, Louisville, North Carolina, Duke, uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, University of Virginia, um, top teams, okay, the odds of you bringing in a freshman and keeping them for four years are almost zero. You're lucky if you can keep them through the sophomore year. And so there's a situation is that you, you're not going to be able to bring in a player, develop them, and keep them, and bring them to their prime. What you have to get good at is that you become an organization that's excellent at recruiting. 
and so all the top programs and it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting chicken and egg is that I don't have to go out and recruit too hard to get people to come play for Duke because of Duke's reputation, the brand that they've built in the marketplace. But if I view my job on the HR side as somebody whose my major role is to be like a college basketball coach and bring in talent because I know that I'm going to have a certain amount of attrition and people leaving, then that gives me the right mindset because the process for how to do this is, is critical to the company is the process for how do you do hardscaping, the process for you how you do maintenance, or the process for how you manage money. Okay, And so that's where we're at. Check out Green Industry Pros Magazine uh, through your favorite search engine. Take a look at these seven, I think there are actually seven articles out there. The first one we didn't do a show on, which kind of introduced everything. And there's a number of other things. It's a great magazine if you're in the landscape industry, and especially dedicated to the smaller landscape companies, the companies that are small who want to be large. Um, And let me give you one last thought here, and that is if you're in the greater New York, Cleveland, or Atlanta areas, we're going to be offering a one-day boot camp in 2018. Uh, We're going to be we're going to be in New Jersey in January, and we're going to be in Cleveland, Ohio, and Atlanta, Georgia in February. If you're interested, we will cover what we've talked about here and a ton more stuff. And in fact, we call it our four cores of, um, of landscape business success. And if you want, a good place to look for that would be to go over to the Ohio Landscape Association and their magazine which we write for, and take a look at what we're doing on the four cores right now. But I guarantee it would be the best one day you have ever spent learning as an owner, learning the business. Because what Stephen and I bring is his almost 40 years of landscape company experience, growing landscape companies, and my almost 40 years of growing companies, period. So between the two of us, we can help you get there. So thank you for listening. Um, this is going to be up on the, the website shortly and look forward to our series in 2018, which is going to be on growing managers. And with that, this is Bill Eastman signing out. Have a great day.